The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my full complement of co-hosts. Laura Nash. Nate Arninger. And Shane Kelly. And this week, we are talking about a brand new, uh, I think it's safe to call this a hit game from uh, developer Four Quarters and publisher Devolver Digital, uh, and that is Loop Hero, uh, which uh, is a... Uh, we'll have to get into the description here, but it is a uh, uh, unclassifiable. It, yeah, very close to unclassifiable roguelite uh, RPG uh, idle game slash deck builder. Deck builder with, with a lot of tabletop uh, yeah, DNA. Yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of a lot of all sorts of. This is a real kind retro of a graphics. Game. Yeah. This game is extremely hard to explain, and then when you play it, you're going to get it in about three minutes. Yes, and yet. Yes, except for, except the for g- all of it. No, that you're going to get the game, but it's it's going to make no effort to explain, explain itself, itself to you. To you. <laughs> yeah, which no. we'll talk about later, but that, that it continues to crack me up how this game tutorializes. We're definitely going to, you know, how our standard structure here of like, trying to go through generalities, what we like and didn't like about the game, kind of talking through its uh, its systems and, and everything. Um, we're probably going to have a, a spoiler break uh, where we'll talk about our strategies or like, you know, we'll probably have some of that before the spoiler break, but I think we're going to save some of our like hottest strats for after the spoiler break um, is my thought. And also, uh, and some, this game has a lot of story that it reveals in some pretty clever and interesting ways. And some of that will probably save for after spoiler break as well. So stick around for that if you're interested. Um, but yeah, somebody want to take a stab first at just sort of explaining yeah. the, the format, the, the various systems at work here. I can try. Um, I, I, I'll start just by saying this is a game, uh, that really came fast. This was announced, only last December and and it kind of went through early access I think right and then now it's out uh, with its full release and it feels like it hit pretty fast so yeah something something about that that I, I think is really interesting I, is like you you can kind of tell that devolver really believed in this game like they sent it out to um, to streamers and everything way in advance a little farther in advance than you usually see. Um, they were pretty free about giving out codes to to various you know outlets. You know, I, I'll say right up front that uh, that we got advance access to this, and we would have probably been in with an uh, earlier episode on it. Actually, if uh, if we hadn't had some technical issues, we don't really need to go into those right now. But um, definitely, like, I think this was a game that like the the Devolver people figured out that this had something special, and were really eager to like see this find its audience and it seems mm-hmm. like they've been successful according to the yeah. uh, uh, worth uh, mentioning as you're talking about the devolver connection there is this was devolver digital's game of the year and they basically nominated it as the game of the year at the same time as they announced it they said this is our 2021 really game of the year yeah it's very strange uh, yeah so I it's, it's already how they sold apparently 500,000 yeah. copies on steam within its first week which yeah. is i think a certified hit 
uh, for a game like this, which I think is a real surprisingly like this is not the sort of game that I would expect to be like a like a a big hit. Um, But here we are. Let's describe I, yeah. what so we the wanted game to talk is, about what it is. Yeah, I, I derailed a little bit from that because I think that that the sto- the story of how hard and fast this was uh, this hit and was promoted uh, is is pretty interesting. But the game itself is more interesting. Um, this is a game where you have a hero who is going to awaken at a campfire and go in a circle around a board that is kind of a tile based board with little pixel art tiles. And on that circular road that he starts off on, there are monsters and there are other um, other tiles you can place that that do a variety of things. And as you fight the monsters, which, you know, you start off with a bunch of slimes, um, the battles play out as a totally or almost completely hands off turn based battle. Uh, you basically, you're not commanding the hero to do anything. The hero just, you know, attacks, the enemies attack, and they go back and forth and whittle each other down. Um, when you've defeated your first slime, you're going to receive one of two things that tie into the, ba- I would say, two of the biggest mechanical uh, systems of the game. Um, system one is it's going to give you tiles, and you place those tiles on the board to change the terrain on that loop. So you can add tiles onto the road itself. Many of them do things like produce monsters for your hero to fight. You can place some adjacent to the road that often will also be making monsters or uh, providing some kind of benefit or hindrance. And the third thing is you can put tiles way off in the distance, off of the road. And those are going to have some kind of small effect uh, as well. And basically you are in some ways playing the role something something akin to the dungeon master of this world. Um, it is all fantasy themed. So, you know, you, it's kind of apt that you'd be setting up the challenges for the hero. You basically want to produce a board that's going to give your hero um, monsters that are of an appropriate challenge for your hero. So uh, that's that's that first that first way of interacting with the game is that system of laying down the tiles. And there's many, many tiles. Uh, the second, I'm just going to do high level on these uh, without trying to get too deep because each of these systems is pretty deep. Uh, the second is the system of getting gear for your hero. And your hero has a large number of different stats. For someone you don't control at all, um, the only way you control the hero is by modifying their stats. And you do that by uh, equipping them with various different pieces of gear that you also receive as loot drops when you kill these monsters. So you're leveling up the hero and you're giving them harder monsters to fight. And you go around and go around the loop until either you decide to quit or you are killed. Um, And in either case, you're then going back to a town. And then on top of everything I just described, there's kind of a town building element to the game that helps you level up. Yeah. So the loops have the like roguelite structure. You are resetting every time you start a new loop or not new loop, but like every time you go out on one of these expeditions, mm-hmm. but the town is your sort of persistent upgrades. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it does very, very minor upgrades. It'll be things like you're increasing your HP by 2% increase attack speed by 1%, but you're doing like multiple different things that, slowly improve your character so each run you're going to be entering into the the loops you know a little bit stronger or you're unlocking new cards 
by building out your town and being able to create new and new and more interesting and more challenging loops for your hero. And it's a really, really satisfying gameplay loop. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed this game. So I was really afraid I was going to hate this game um, because it felt like it, like I don't, I like maybe one out of every five roguelikes. Uh, this game has auto combat and thus it turned into like a solitaire. Like I felt like I was playing a card game or like a physical board game with myself. And I really loved it because all of these little mechanics are all the things I love about roguelikes and about playing D and D, but none of the, like the grindy combat stuff was all automated. So I was really happy <laughs> with this. It's game. so, it's so funny that that's a good point, Lord. It, it is part of what makes this game so satisfying and, and like simple to play, but then also part of what makes it like really challenging and, and at times frustrating and like a good frustrating, like the kind of frustrating you want from like a challenging game where you're just setting up systems and you're really hoping that this goes the way that you want it to go. But yeah. there's enough randomness in the combat and enough randomness uh, and uh, the the uh, monster spawning and all the different things that like you're basically saying like I really think I'm gonna succeed in these battles and then you just watch and you you can't control like you'll get into a fight where it's your hero and four or five monsters and you don't control who they attack first Mm-mm. if you are a you know a, a JRPG style player you're going to really want to be like, get the healer, kill that guy first and then get this guy. Then this get, get this guy, but you have no control over it. So you just watch and just hope that your little hero makes the right decision and kills the things in the appropriate order, which is kind of thrilling to watch because you're just watching your little systems play, but then also it can turn on a dime so fast when you're like, I'm crushing. And then just one fight, the whole thing falls apart and you're dead. Shane hit the nail on the head when he said that you're playing Dungeon Master because you really are playing game designer in some ways uh, because you have cards you're laying down. You decide what the obstacles are, where they're putting, what to layer on top of what. Um, And I think the the reason I really loved the auto combat feature is really because the the whole pace of the way I played the game changed because – to me, my favorite thing is that you are in adventure mode or you're in planning mode and you can just hit the space bar and everything pauses and you lay your mm-hmm. tiles out and then you hit go and it just runs. Uh, that's something that's been in a million games before. But what makes it really nifty in here is how easy it is to swap between the two. It's not automated. They don't. The game doesn't control it. Even if you're in the middle of the battle, you can hit the space bar and at the end of the battle, you're back to pause. Like, it felt very much like in D and D when you are, um, you know, saving your action until the next turn. I felt like I was just saving the planning until the battle was over, and I was going to hop on it. Like there's a yeah. tons of little UX things that made this really enjoyable to play, and got me way past my worries up front. I loved it. A, a comparison for me on this game when we say we're kind of playing Dungeon Master here, really, I want to compare this to the game that came out on Apple Arcade. Uh, maybe last year, early in the year, I think, is called Takeshi and Hiroshi. We almost covered it for the show, but I wound up really not liking it. It actually has a very similar concept to this and an art style that I actually like a a lot more 
uh, than this one, which I, I think the art here is a little bit uh, bland. But in Takeshi and Hiroshi, you are an older brother who is making a video game for your younger brother. Um, and the mechanic, like what you're actually doing is basically the same. You're putting enemies in front of a hero that you don't control, uh, trying to make sure that they have something that's an appropriate level for them to like kill in advance. Um, and in that game, you are managing like your little brother's engagement with the video game you're making, which I thought was awesome. But what that game did not do is give you the the systems that this game does. This game says, okay, what if we took the hero completely out of your control, you know, which is the same thing that game was doing. But what if we gave you lots of lots of overlapping systems that do allow you to control the experience? So your you have control over what cards are in your deck, you have control over um the hero's class, you have control over what equipment they're they're dropping, they're, they're wearing you. And the biggest thing you're controlling is how many enemies for me, I think the biggest thing to control in this game is how many enemies are in a given encounter. Um, some of the heroes like the warrior really works well when you have lots of enemies in the encounter to fight the, um, for example, the necromancer works much, much better when you have one or very few enemies in the encounter to fight and you, you're choosing what enemies based on the spawn uh, tiles you lay down as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting comparison between this and that game, which that game I really wanted to like and and hated, uh, and this game, which I kind of didn't expect to like and wound up really, really liking mechanically. Yeah, another uh, game style that this reminds me of that we haven't touched on yet is it's like a tower defense game, but almost the inverse Right. Normally with a tower defense, mm-hmm. you're placing things to like kill the the endless runner that is the, the enemy. And in this game, you're like trying to support an endless runner. You you want your knight or your hero to survive for as long as possible. And so part of that is setting out proper enemies, like Shane is saying, to to provide yourself with the right gear and tiles to further support yourself but there's also things that uh that heal your hero or buff it in other ways so you want to set those at the right place to support it on its endless run uh and i really really like tower defense games and you don't see a lot of them outside of just straight up tower defense usually it's like you know uh, a free-to-play app on your iPhone or whatever. I don't feel like I see a lot of tower defense DNA in many games. I know we've talked about doing orcs must die a couple times, which is a great 3d tower defense game. Um, but I really, this game really satisfied some of my tower defense desires uh, in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I think it's, it's a really clever way to handle it. That's a good point. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the sort of, various systems and i think that'll keep coming up and we'll go into more depth but i also wanted to make sure we didn't get too far into the episode without talking about how i think this game does an incredible job with its storytelling and lore uh in a way that i also kind of wasn't expecting for a game that like the title loop hero sounds like a like a you know mid-grade app game to me you know it just it, it's not it wasn't a, a title that like inspired a lot of like sounded like sounded like it was going to be something that had like a deep story to me 
Um, mm. But it actually really is in an interesting way. So I and we haven't talked about it at all yet. So forgive me, I'm going to just sort of set it up from the beginning. This is a game yeah. about a world where that has been lost to darkness that's sort of been erased. Um, so you, the hero, don't really know too much about the world as it was before. You've lost your memory and everyone else you encounter pretty much has too. But you it, it becomes obvious that there was a lich that has destroyed the world and set it into some sort of like endless loop or or like, you know, place out of time. Uh, and all of the inhabitants of the world are sort of scattered in darkness. And uh, and there's a lot of really cool little details in terms of the world building about that. Things like, you know, you, at the beginning of the game, you find a small settlement uh, that is sort of the campfire that you set off from every time you go out on one of these expeditions around the loop. Um, and back in that, that, uh, that, uh, settlement that you sort of try to build up over the course of the game, there's all these people that you have little brief conversations with, and they talk about things like how, you know, they, they keep trying to build buildings, but every time they look away and then look back, they've vanished. You know, the world is not just, not just destroyed, but in the process of being erased and your memory of it is also in the process of being erased, but you, the hero, can, by going out on this loop and battling various little slimes and things, uh, kind of remember it and bring it back into being. And so this process of like placing tiles that you're doing is, you know, one on one side, it's like it's like you're building something. Right. But on the other side, it's your you're rebuilding or remembering a world uh, trying to bring it back into being. The other side of that, that is, I think, where this game gets very cool from like a theme perspective is that. Yes, you're trying to kind of like save a world that is currently being lost. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in this game that makes you occasionally wonder, well, what was this world that we're trying to save and was it worth saving? The very earliest example of this that I thought was like one of the coolest lines I've seen in a video game. Just this was like a moment that I was like, oh, shit, that's that's oh, that's what we're looking at. So, you know, one of the cards you get very early in the game is called the Vampire Mansion. And uh, the Vampire Mansion is literally just like a, a mansion tile that you place next to the road. And wherever you place it on the road, uh, vampire enemies start spawning into every uh, combat encounter you have that's near the Vampire Mansion. Um, so, you know... It, it specifically, it adds one additional combatant, the vampire, that right. just makes all the all the combats that are already there harder. Yeah, and that's a good thing, especially at early parts of the game, because you're trying to like level up more quickly, get better drops. You want harder combat encounters early on. So you, you put that down, and uh, a lot of these cards, the first time you get one or the first time you put it down, you get a little bit of flavor dialogue or monologue from the hero. And when you place your first vampire mansion, the hero remembers something along the lines of, oh, yes, of course, I had forgotten uh, vampires owned all of our lands and they did, you know, uh, many important and, and, uh, beneficial things for the inhabitants. And you're like, wait, what? You came from a world where all of the, uh, all of the landowners were vampires. Like totally you, normal. Don't just they helped our settlements to prosper. They, yeah. yeah, of yeah. Course. Don't just drop that and then continue trudging along your loop. Like, wait, what guys, landlords, landlords are, are workers too. <laughs> it's a real job. I was going to say, aren't, yeah. Uh, there's some, I think, some commentary in that as well. Uh, 
I, I love this I idea. I think it's a stretch, but maybe. Yeah. I, I, I have uh, to say, I, since we've just gotten Reagan's absolutely glowing review of the story here, I have to say I think the story's kind of shit. The, uh, <laughs> the, 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 it's, it's, it's right. just the extension fight, fight, of the fight. hero has forgotten it. everything trope that I already really dislike. Um, and the, and it, and it's just, to me, it just feels like an excuse to have like, okay, there's, you know, we we have a gameplay loop where everything has to be reset. So okay, let's let's just let's yeah, just roll with that. That's our story. I think that the story is fine. The writing is fun and interesting. I, I there's, a of, fair, there's a lot like, of there's a lot of I I really like I really like a lot of these little subtle details. There's things like yeah. the the moment a little later in the in the process where you first meet your first harpy and they have like a very different view of the world mm-hmm. that's being destroyed slash created than you do. Or like all of the dialogue you have with I'm thinking specifically we won't get into the details here, so I don't want to spoil it, but like the dialogue that you have with like the second boss was I thought yeah pretty damn good um so like yeah maybe it's not like i don't know i shane i i think i think it's shit is like really <laughs> that's that's I, harsh that's you're, harsh. you're voted off the podcast on this one in my <laughs> opinion but like I, I i maybe it's not like lighting the world on fire but like the writing yeah. for this fairly basic story is really uh really cool and i and continually funny. was funny excited times. to get more dialogue I wasn't super excited by the plot, but I was by the, I I think that having each new type of enemy have a little bit of personality was really fun. Um, I will say when I unlocked the rogue class, uh, for some reason it auto, I I, I hit some button and it uh, advanced through it and I was like, no, and I usually don't have that reaction to missing dialogue, but I thought the rogue class would have been introduced with something cool. So I, I, I will say I fell somewhere between. I don't think it's a Pulitzer, and I don't think I definitely don't think it's shit. But I do think there's <laughs> a lot of um, there's a lot of fun to be had by having a really knowing narrator. Like even in the beginning, they point out the n- inventory, and they're like, "You have an inventory. You have equipment slots. You know what to do." Uh, yeah, I want to. Like, I've talked about I it like. already, but I want to talk about the tutorializing at some point, uh, which is funny and almost non-existent. But Shane. You've now been completely pushed against the wall on your opinion of the story on this. No. What is your response? <laughs> okay, so you know, the wall. <laughs> look, I, 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 this is a game that I really enjoyed, but every single part of this game that I enjoyed, I also have a lot of criticism of. So just be ready. That's going to be how the podcast goes this time. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like this is a game that, um, it, it has a lot of really interesting original ideas on the one hand but on the other hand like it really just it really just leans hard into like tired tropes in other places so that's kind of where i'm thinking about it Uh, for me what i liked about it was that i often don't get to play the games with all the tropes because they have things i hate in them that just make the game no fun so i really liked that the mechanics were so tight that i could get through I could play a game and really love a game in a genre I have a lot of I don't have the patience for like it's not that I don't like robots it's that I don't have the patience to be good at them this one I felt like I I could so we talk about games respecting your time this game is in loops and at the end of every loop you have an out 
I needed to record this podcast. So I decided one run was just a resource run. I didn't need to fight a boss. I did six or right. seven loops, quit the game, kept my resources, didn't feel like I missed out or didn't have fun. Like you can have an incomplete run and that is fine in this game. And I really liked that. Yeah, arguably you should be doing runs just for resources. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, this, we haven't talked about it yet, but this is not a short game when it comes to total runtime, if you want to beat this game, not at all. But it does provide you short access to everything. So even this dialogue and this world building that we're talking about is doled out to you in uh, maybe five or six lines of dialogue at a time. So even if you don't like it at all, you can completely click through it and ignore it, or you can completely engage in it if you want to. It, it's it's very short, and they spend very little time on basically everything. There's little time committed to anything other than getting you back into a loop. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's it has a really good. It, it feels really silly to be talking about like the gameplay loop of a game that's called Loop Hero, and we call it the rhythm, loop. and then you sound yeah, sophisticated. Exactly. The cadence yeah. of the game. It, it yes. has a great cadence to it. Um, I think the thing that I, I I mean Laura basically touched on this the thing that I enjoyed most about this game is that um it felt every time that you jump into one of these expeditions as the the game calls them it felt like that moment in a uh in any other game where like you're you're beginning to sort of like um snowball into feeling powerful you know, you start very weak every time you, you know, you start back to, to nothing. You start very weak. Um, most of the time, even a really good run where I like really went the distance and was like really uh, very careful about every move I was making. Uh, the longest any of those runs ever took me was an hour. Um, and uh, they all had that that consistent feeling of like building power and becoming more powerful continually throughout the run. Um, it, it was just, it was very compelling. It like really felt good to do that sort of prep. And um, it is really unusual to have a game where like your main interaction with it is like trying to challenge yourself, but not overdo it. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's really, I don't know. I, I, I had a lot of fun with just sort of the, the basic systems of this. I, you know, I will say I, I made it very far into this game. I, I've not completed it. Um, again, it is not a short game as far as total time to actually complete yeah, we, yeah, it. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. Like we have, we've had a longstanding like roguelike uh, exception yeah. on this show, and this is the most. Uh, this is the I biggest think, stretch we've had for like whether this counts as what no, was that. <laughs> I think this is directly Hades comparable is, to Hades. It's exactly the same yeah. as Hades. A single run you can do in a short amount of time and it's fun. But if you want the full story and the full like experience and, and a deep run with all the systems, you need to play Hades for 20 to 30 hours. I think that's kind of similar here. Yeah. You could play this game for a couple hours and really understand it and enjoy it. But I think if you want all of the systems and all of the story, it this feels like a 20 plus hour game. Of course, your mileage may vary depending on your uh, enjoyment and ability to engage with the systems. But it, it's a there it's are a, a lot of reports game. on it for from how long to beat now. There are at least uh, there are about 20 people who have beat the game. And the average here is 27 and a half hours. So, yeah. you know, and that's up to 
37 hours completionist. So it's in that neighborhood. Yeah. It's it, honestly in the same neighborhood as Hades. If you were going to pick between two games, I suggest Hades. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't need to. You don't need to just pick them both. Uh, so, but Reagan, you were talking about like, you know, that, that power curve and you feel more powerful. I will say I, I brought up how far I've made it to say that like rarely – have I, did I ever feel like really powerful in this game? This game more feels like a like survival loop mm-hmm. than like mm-hmm. a, even when I, uh, I, when I beat the, the second boss, I, I like barely beat it. And it, and I, I, I was very, very popular. You, you, you know how, uh, the, the items have levels on them. So you can get a general idea of like how powerful you are and how strong you are. Uh, and I was as strong as I've ever been in this game when I decided to take on the second boss because you can choose, which is cool. Um, and I still like barely made my way through to the boss and beat the boss. And in that way, it feels similar to that's when it felt the most roguelike to me. A game like Slay the Spire or a game like FTL where you're just like, dying and struggling to the end and beating it is more like a uh a challenge of um like persistence and 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 resistance and like a grueling fight and not like a your zelda or oh my god your link and you're going to fight <laughs> oh my god you're gonna get so much <laughs> i know email. i know I, I can't believe but i'm leave it leave it in you're, just pretend uh, you play the mod where the dad did it for know, his daughter in, and just I pretend w- that like i fight with zelda sure my 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 problem was in my mind i was gonna say you're in a zelda game and then it just yeah. came out as yours but anyway you, you know <laughs> you're you're link and you are going up uh uh, to kill uh, Ganondorf and you've been grinding and you're like, you're going to kill it with no problem. That's not this game. It's like, you're going to hopefully have the perfect combination of systems and, and loot and everything to like survive. Uh, and that's really, really, I, I like that. I think that's, that's a challenge. It's a really delicate balance to, to make in a game. Uh, but it also leads to like, just a lot of dying. Like you, you have an out. You can always say, I want to leave. Um, but who wants to do that? I don't know about you guys, but I was like constantly like, I think I can make this loop. And then <laughs> no, yeah, I made that mistake a lot. Something I, I thought yeah. was kind of fun or not fun, but like really, yes, fun. But like, like I thought a uh, good design about this is that, uh, at any point on a loop, at literally any point, you can decide to bail out even without like making a complete loop and you get to leave with, what is it like? Uh, 80%. You know, I think it's uh, like 60, 60, or 60, 60, yeah, 60% of the loot that you yeah. have. Um, if you make it back to the, the campfire, you can leave at it at any point when you're at the campfire with a hundred percent of your loot. Um, so even if you haven't gotten all the way to the boss, if you die, you only keep 30% of your loot. Um, so there's this big incentive to like try to try to go as far as you can, but not overextend yourself, not try to like because you know, if you get into a, a really, really mean fight, once you're in the fight, you're in the fight. And if you die, you die, you're you're heading out with only 30 percent of what you've collected, which is a big waste because you know collecting resources uh, is a huge part of how you upgrade your town and character. Um, so it, it's a, it's a real bummer it's when a, you lose that huge classic press your luck mechanic. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's Which is fun. wonderful risk yeah. reward because, and the best part about it is you are creating the risk. Uh, because if you 
sail through and you keep playing and you aren't challenging yourself sufficiently, you're going to just get whomped by the bosses um, because you're not strong enough. And But if you are bleeding out when you enter into a giant fight, you are just going to fail miserably. So it's a really nice balance where you have to figure out, you have to guess how strong things are going to be. Um, you have to guess what different effects layered on top of each other are going to be. Uh, that's when I... I compare this to like a, a physical tabletop board game and that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like when you're playing like one of those Euro style games and you get four or five things layered on top and you're suddenly your German town is incredibly wealthy. Like that's what that felt like. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or usually with me, someone else at the table has done that and you just can't imagine how they're making so much money while you have. Like, wait, those two cards do that together? Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> those two cards do that together could have yeah. been the mantra for the second hour of me playing this game. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about that too because like, we don't need – maybe we save some of our like hottest, uh, most spoilery strategies for after the spoiler break. But something that's really interesting about this game is that like it has a lot of – card synergies and other little mechanics that are not explained. Um, and that's very deliberate. This game is about... This is something I have a lot to say about. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this is a game that like... So from a theme perspective, this is very much a game about like a forgotten world, uh, rediscovering things as you go. Um, and I think thematically tied into that is the mechanical side of that, which is that there are a lot of basically unexplained mechanics that are there for you to discover for yourself. Um, and so one very prominent example of that is the card synergies or the tile synergies where many of your, so a lot of the, a lot of the, the cards that you get are, you're, you know, you're placing them as like land tiles on the board. So that might be things like a forest, which spawns rat wolves. When you pass through it, you have to fight the rat wolves. Um, or it might be something like a battlefield. And when you place the battlefield near the road, uh, it causes a, uh, a new chest to spawn on the road uh, every day so that when you come back through that area, you have to you can collect whatever's in that chest. Um, but a, a, one example of this would be like if you put a, uh, a town, which is a, a tile that heals you when you pass through it. A village. Right, village, excuse me. You put that village on the road, um, but then you put a uh, a vampire mansion near it, like near enough that it's within its area of, of control. Uh, well, then that village turns into a, I think it's called a ransacked village. And the ransacked village is basically a, a village that's been overrun by ghouls. And so when you go through it, rather than it healing you, you fight a bunch of ghouls, which are like, slightly op enemies depending on what point mm -hmm. in your game you're at um and a vampire yeah and a vampire because <laughs> of there's a vamp yeah so it's a big fight you're gonna have like four or five enemies to fight every time you pass through it but if you do that uh and you fight through fight your way through that for three loops then on the fourth loop it turns from a ransacked village into the count's lands a special village tile that gives you extra healing, uh, heals you for quite a lot of points when you pass through it. And there's a lot of little um, uh, like things like that. And sometimes they're hinted at. So for example, um, you know, when you turn one of these, uh, you, you, when you put the vampire mansion next to the town, you don't necessarily know what that's going to do, but what that, that means then when, once it turns into a ransacked village, you can mouse over it and you do get some text that explains what the ransacked village is. So you don't have to just bumble your way in. 
And it says, you know, turns into something useful after three turns or three three loops. So you know something is going to happen, but you don't really know what. Um, and, you know, you didn't know anything was going to happen until you happened to put those two cards next to each other. Uh, and the same goes for other things. So, for example, you put two of those battlefields next to each other and you get, I forget what it's called, like the blood fields or something like that. Blood clots. Yeah, well, the blood clots are the enemies that spawn out oh, of it. blood right? path. Yeah, 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 blood path. Thank you. And so the blood path spawns blood clot enemies, which are like extra powerful, weird enemies. Um, there's a lot of little stuff like that. Uh, or even something very simple, like it, putting um, meadows on the board. Uh, if you place them next to something else, they turn into blooming meadows, which have a, a more positive effect than the regular meadows. Yeah, I felt so stupid how long that took me to figure out. I was like, why do some of these bloom and why do some of them not? And it's like, meadows oh, it's next put it, to meadows don't count. It, yeah, you put it next uh, to not meadows. Count. Anything, literally anything. Uh, I really, I actually, I really liked this element of figuring out these tile combinations and i liked that it didn't tell you any of them uh it felt kind of like you know recipe discovery in in other games you're like oh what happens if i combine this and this what am i gonna get most of the time nothing but when it does click and something cool happens you're like hell yeah and i also love it's another system of risk reward like the the one you talk about the vampire village combination you know that you're if you can survive that extra challenging fight for four turns or whatever, it's going to be worth it. But most, even your best runs don't normally last more than seven or eight loops. So if you're already at loop three or four and it's starting to get really challenging, you have to decide, like, is it worth it to upgrade this village to, to make this a really hard fight for my, like, last run? to have this upgraded village or should i just say just scrap it and not do it even though it is a better eventual outcome and i and i like that you know constant addition of these little risk rewards but overall the the tile system and the mystery around it i really enjoyed and i'm sure there are a ton i haven't figured out I don't have a huge amount of... Uh, I, I set myself up uh, by saying I had a lot of complaints. This is probably the piece of the game that I have the fewest complaints about, but I do want to kind of um, set some kind of... Uh, sh- to point out the juxtaposition here, because the the si- the two systems that you're dealing with when you're on the loop, which is the gear and the tiles, the tiles skew really far in the direction of not explaining themselves at all. Um, which is usually something I dislike in, uh, especially in board games, things like that, where you here it's fun because you're kind of interacting with it. It's a it's a it's a video game, so you can you can experiment, you can place the tiles different places, and that is part of you growing to understand the game is just figuring out the tile synergies. Some of the tile synergies are really obscure. Um, I, I did a little online research, and I, there are a few of them that I would absolutely never have found on my own. And I think that is kind of cool to have something that's really unique like that. Um, But one thing I will say is a lot of the tile synergies don't do that much. Uh, Some of them are like explicitly hindrances. Like you mentioned the blood path. Like I have a hard time thinking of times where you really would would want to generate the blood path. Um, There's other things like the time crystal that is very hard to use appropriately. The time crystal is something that um, takes any 
adjacent tile within the kind of nine by nine, uh, three by three kind of nine grid around it. Um, and if that tile has a daily um, action that it does, like it spawns an enemy every day, um, it's going to make that happen twice per day. It's a pretty subtle effect. Um, there are some very powerful ways to use it, but it's actually like it's very, very tricky uh, to 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 get effective use. And you only have so many limited spots. I ended up turning off that card and not really using it. And and just to point out, Shane, thank you for translating, but it's called the Chrono Crystal. Okay, remember we are Chrono Crystal. We are we are thank dealing you. in a fantasy world I took here. That so. out of my deck, and I did yeah. not put it back in because yeah. I did not know how to use it. In order to use it effectively, yeah, I, I think you asked me about it. And so the the effective way to use it, in my opinion, is to uh, you can if you position it just right, you can get. I think about four blooming meadows around it, but in order to, and then each blooming meadow gives you like three uh, HP per day. And then you get off of the crystal, another three. So you get, oh. uh, if you, if you're able to tile that out, you're able to get, but even if you're doing it in the most effective way possible, it still doesn't give you that much HP. Frankly, you put a lot of specific effort into doing things like blooming meadows and time crystals and uh, placing, um, all the stuff that's off of the loop especially is like this. Um, deserts, uh, rocks, all of that stuff that you're placing, especially off the loop, is so incremental and so tiny that it feels like time filler while I while I wait for other things to happen in the game. So yes and no. There's a there's definitely places where this stuff really comes into play. Uh, like for me, the time crystals, I agree. Like I started by using them like you were with the you know with the blooming meadows. And that felt like a little bit like eh, a meh, you know, it's a bit of a nothing. Um, but like later on when I started, I, like I, I found I, I unlocked the um, the ruins card, which spawns those like fireworms or whatever they're called. And those enemies in particular drop really good loot, but they only spawn one per day. And that means that you're very often only fighting one or two of them, depending on how the timing on your loop works. Um, but by carefully using those chrono crystals, I could I could set it up to reliably fight four of them every time I pass through their square. And I could do that using the chrono crystals within the first two or three turns, which meant that every time I passed through those areas, I was fighting like full complements of those flame dudes. And it was pretty easy because it was still fairly early in the loot, but they were dropping huge loot. Um, so it's stuff like that. Like you have to find these these like specific times where it makes sense to use them. Like I would, I, and given that, like I'm not dropping those chrono crystals from my deck, at least not right now, because that is a really good early game strat, um, at least for mm-hmm. me. Same goes for, same goes for the, um, the spider enemy, which mm-hmm. uh, is a really, really good, enemy you get from the start of the game um and that you can you can put a spider spawner because it's off the road it it can give you uh more enemies into a fight um so we'll talk more about like strategy like that uh later but basically like i was saying like there are these ways you can you can use it but it's very incremental very minor um and whereas some of them feel like really impactful like maybe the vampire mansion so yeah there's um, a I like the spider card because I didn't have it on for a long time, but I turned it back on because I needed to generate a lot of enemies who had souls because I had a, a trait later 
that helped me every time you kill something that has a soul. I loved that. That was one of the fun little. (laughs) Yeah, I I found that early in the game. I rolled over and it was like living has a soul. Like they'll tell you about these characters, and it's it's interesting because those are not normal. Stat usually blocks. stats are like undead, <laughs> yeah. Or but like yeah. as a soul was a very specific phrasing. So yeah, glad to know I that comes it. in. Yeah, slimes do not have a soul. There are a lot of skeletons. There are a lot of uh, little skeletons things like have that. A soul. Yeah. yeah, some of these tags uh, get applied in ways that seem a little nonsensical. So, like you said, like undead stuff is listed as having a soul. Okay, I guess it does. Uh, spiders, though, for real. Um, and and so some of those spider, some of those tags and attributes are are written in they they feel like they're applied kind of hodgepodge. It seems like it's been like maybe for for gameplay tweaking reasons. Like maybe they wanted to up the number of enemies that triggered some particular ability. So okay, suddenly in this world, spiders have souls. Which <laughs> like again, this goes back to how I feel like the the game. Uh, is like gameplay first, story second. Like they didn't write this game and and say, okay, in our world, spiders have souls and vampires are in charge of villages. Uh, they, I feel like they they came at it gameplay first, which is fine to do, I think. Uh, but it's not selling me on the great writing. Shane, do you believe all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, well, I don't know. Do rot wolves have souls? Uh, if so, I suppose they go to heaven. Um, yeah. So, so I was trying to compare and contrast the two systems of, uh, of the, of the tiles, which I feel are very incremental, except for the ones that are directly on your path, uh, and are very loosely explained in terms of like, they, they might tell you, okay, this produces rot wolves. Um, but is a rot wolf stronger than a spider? Do I care that it has a soul? Uh, et cetera. Right. So it's very, very loosely explained. You really have to experiment. Um, the equipment, which is dropped in the same way by killing enemies, um, is very, very over elaborately explained. There are so many stats in this game. It's honestly ridiculous. And many of the stats, um, themselves are poorly explained. So, you know, you, you have to learn, for example, that magic damage, um, and magic HP, uh, like, what is the function of those? I couldn't find it explained anywhere in the game. I had to, I had to yeah, dig around on the internet. It doesn't. So, um, while, and that is your main way of interacting with the hero, which is the main thing you're doing in the game is making, is leveling up the hero. So, uh, leveling up and optimizing the hero isn't terribly well supported in my opinion. Like you, you, you have these tools at your disposal, these, these pieces of equipment, and many of them are simply relying on the idea that you probably have played video games before and have some built in understanding of what evasion means, right? But what does it really mean here? The answer might surprise you. So, so, okay. uh, Yes. And I think like there's a, uh, (laughs) there's a real like supportable theme reason for, um, not telling you what most of the stats mean. Like some of them you can puzzle out, you know, evasion. It's like, you know, it tells you when the person has evaded something, you see an, a little evasion animation that says evaded. Um, you, you kind of figure what that is. Um, some of the more mysterious ones like magic damage, like, yes, it's very hard to figure out just by watching the game play out what magic damage actually does. But like, there's a lot of things like that in this game that go largely unexplained. And that feels like a natural part 
of a game about a world where everything has been forgotten and and nothing is clear. Like you there's a lot you don't know in this game and magic yeah. damage or how it works when attached to your your weapons is like just one of those things and it felt like part of the part of it to me. To me I I didn't attribute it to theme. I attributed it to um I rarely play combat-based video games, especially any shooter where there aren't a billion stats that are completely incomprehensible to me without picking up a gun manual. So Hmm. I just assumed that, like, this was, like, I, you know, I can guess, you know, vampirism, I assume, is going to take from, like, a lot of it's just intuiting from other games. Yeah. But I also assumed there were detailed roguelite stats that I, as not a genre player, was not part of, or maybe it was from an RPG, or maybe it was from something else I haven't played. Like, I just assumed this was hidden knowledge that they assumed you had, and it didn't hurt me too badly to guess at what it was. So, yes, like, I, I didn't even I didn't even think until you said it that it could have anything to do with the theme. I just assumed it was like, oh, don't you, you know, kind of like how Blaseball assumed everyone knew how to play baseball until they found out they didn't. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think this is also this is more along the lines of like how Blaseball has stats like unthwackability and like what is unthwackability? It doesn't matter, but that's cool. Like you can't be thwacked. Yeah. Uh, so I I agree. I think it's more like the story. I think this is sort more to like what Shane is saying as far as like the story covering for the for some of the gameplay decisions because ultimately I think this is because the way you actually interface with the equipment is so rapid fire. And the way the game tells you what's better is, is completely different. So every love, every item has an item level. So every time you get like a sword, it'll have like a little one or two or three, you know, as you, as you go up the level. And then there's also colors of rarity, classic rpg you know blue is rare and then like yellow is more rare and orange is the most rare right so if you have a level four sword that is orange regardless of what its individual stats are because some of these items will have like four different stats on them it's going to be better than that level two uh, blue item that you got maybe three minutes ago. So you're probably going to swap it out anyway. So if you're really spending a lot of time, like really trying to min max these stats, it repl- you replace your equipment so fast that I think you're probably going to either drive yourself crazy or waste a lot of time really trying to min max when there's so much coming your way and it happens so fast that it's not really worth it. So like, I think that's really what the game is going for. Like, yeah, I, I my favorite character is Necromancer, and I still don't really know what the difference between summon quality and skeleton level is. But I know when I get this new ring that gives me a slightly better summon quality than the previous ring, I'm just going to take that new one. Or if I have to, uh, it'll. But even if I don't, even if that wasn't the best decision, it's going to be replaced maybe within like 30 seconds from something better anyway. It really does. In this game, like the way that you're playing, what you are doing is optimizing the hero. Some of the stats are more valuable than others. So for your necromancer specifically, like 
Uh, I also could not figure out the difference between skeleton quality and skeleton level, uh, and I didn't have time to Google it. But, you know, what's really important to the necromancer? Probably attack speed, because when you attack, it's when you summon a skeleton. So if you're if you're building by applying the equipment and you're really trying to prioritize a particular skill like attack speed, um, there are going to be times where you're getting a much higher level, much higher rarity gear. And by the way, the rarity of the gear doesn't tell you, I don't think anything about the quality of the stat boost that you're getting. It's just that each level of rarity means that that piece of equipment buffs one additional stat. So the highest rarity buffs four stats, the lowest rarity, the gray ones buffs only one stat. The, um, and in fact, there are many, many situations where if you're trying to make a character that's optimized to do a specific, specific thing, you're going to be choosing lower rarity gear that does the one specific thing. In fact, if you have two level five pieces of gear and you care about optimizing for a particular stat, you're going to always choose the lower rarity one because the higher rarity one spreads the buff around amongst four different stats, whereas the lower rarity, but one buffs only one stat. So like I said, this is a system that I feel has a lot of things pulling in a lot of different directions. Um, and, it, you know, it's I, I, I could see maybe someone really liking engaging with this system, um, and I found it okay. I, I really did like engaging with this system. Something that I felt like it encouraged for me was that I... Um, like, the example of, like, skeleton quality versus skeleton uh, level... Um, I, uh, I, I did a couple of different runs where one, I prioritized one and the other, I prioritized the other. And by doing that, it became really obvious what the actual meaning was. I don't know if I want to spoil that for folks here, but if you didn't, if you didn't know, um, it, I discovered through doing that, that, uh, skeleton quality meant that you more often summoned those more advanced skeletons, the skeleton warrior or the like big lumbering skeleton heavy or whatever, the one with the club versus the standard skeletons versus skeleton level just being basically like, what is the like, you know, HP and, uh, and damage level of the spell skeleton. And it's like that it's not obvious from the, the, the name, although it, you know, it's a stat that makes sense and it makes sense to have as separate stats. Um, and it kind of encouraged, trying different builds does it though because because what's the point of a bigger bulkier skeleton if its hp and damage are based on a different stat entirely well it, it well attacks it more draws slowly attacks. uh it, it yeah it draws attacks it attacks more slowly but with bigger heavier hits um and then the warrior is is sort of its opposite the warrior uh is is attacking more frequently um i think it's more of a kind of i don't know i think it's more of a glass cannon um hey it also looks different and is cooler so i think it I think it was interesting to play around with those stats. Um, so I, I get it that maybe, you know, it, it, it could have been simpler, um, but I thought it was pretty cool. And yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed the rapid fire nature of it. You're just, I like how quickly you're swapping out things. I, I just one last thing about the, the tutorialization. There's a whole system that I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about um, building out your town, uh, creating supply slots, and resources, and there's an entire crafting element to this game that it tells what you... What an annoying addition. It, it tells you nothing about... And uh, there are rare items that you can find, like tables and garlic and, you know, a cool mirror that add permanent bonuses. It's similar to, like, a relic from Slay the Spire. One individual one, probably not super strong, 
But once you have five, six, seven of these, it's going to really make your character. Once stronger. you have a table and all of the chairs, exactly. I mean, then- uh, but it doesn't <laughs> even tell you. Together. That's the high fantasy element that we all yeah. dr- all crave, right? Is collecting yeah. furniture. <laughs> hey, you're talking to someone who's like exclusive use of the Sims was by was was finding free mods on the internet to build better houses. Yeah. Any fan of Beauty and the Beast is going to want a nice chair, a nice table. Anyway, mm-hmm. it tells you, it doesn't yeah, even tell you, like, how to put, like, that you have to put these things into supply slots, that you have limited supply slots. Like, no, I, I did multiple runs before I, I was, like, collecting these items. Like, cool. And I realized, like, it doesn't seem to be doing anything. So then I had to build a thing and put them into a select amount of spots. And once I figured it out, it all makes sense. It's pretty standard you know, video game stuff. And that this game is heavily relying on you knowing standard video game things. But I just thought it was so funny. There's nothing that is like, hey, here's your supply depot. Here's where you put your items. Put your items there to make sure they work. Nothing. And I and I, I just it's it's funny. It became laughable to me how little this game bothers to tell you how to play it. And yeah, I didn't that I, know you, that when you, you did figure you it out though, right? Cards? Like that's something that's cool about this. Is like it's mm-hmm. it's I I thought I think it's cool that this game is like yeah, here's a bunch of systems, it's, it's figure it out. I, yeah. yeah. When you you get your cards all the way full and they drop off, like I they, thought that you weren't going to draw any more cards. It's like, oh, those turn into resources. I should have known that earlier. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it, it's definitely a, a choice. Uh, and it just, I've not seen a game with this degree of systems Mm -hmm. make such little effort to tell you how to interact with the game, uh, which I think is interesting. And I, I assume that I, I think I got most of them, but there's probably a bunch of stuff I've left behind. One Uh, one thing that I will say like that in, in, you know, counterpoint to that is that the game has mouse over text on almost everything. Um. So if you do like Except hover the your stats. mouse over and it, well, that's yeah. true. But the, you know it those are text in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, so if you are like wondering, like, hey, what does this building do? Or if you open up the building interface and and you hover over something in within that building's little interface, it'll tell you something. It may not tell you exactly what you need to know, but it'll tell you something to give you an <laughs> idea of like what's uh, what's up, what's up with that. Um, and I yeah. I just I found that whole aspect of this the like this the discovery aspect to be really rewarding. Like I, I get mm-hmm. that being weird or frustrating or maybe even like disqualifying for some people if that's really something you hate. But I thought that was super cool. I, I, I really enjoy that about it. I never found it frustrating. I just was like, what? Like this whole thing exists over here. Or when you go to craft something, you're spending resources to craft stuff. And some of these resources are very valuable. And you're like, what am I even? There's just little icons that you have to try to figure out to determine what you're going to craft, and you're like, "Well, I hope this is worth these resources." Cool, right. I made more garlic. Is that all I make is garlic? Every time I click this button, I've made garlic so far. I don't know if that's all I make when I click that button, but it sure seems that way. Yeah. So it's the to me that my last thought on this is that it seemed like the opposite feeling of a what I think of a really good puzzle game. It's a game where you're like, "I am a genius." no one else can figure this out and in this game it constantly was me playing and being like oh man i think i'm getting really good at this game and then i would find out something and i'd be like oh i was secretly an idiot those other eight chances because i didn't know this 
next time I'm going to be a genius. So I never <laughs> felt stupid during the game, but I, in retrospect, was like, ah, oh, what a fool if I had only known that, you know, that blooming meadow was <laughs> yeah. replaced by a rock. Um, I, I really like a game, you know, like subset games does it where they, they have complicated systems and they tell you how every system works, just not what to do with them or how, like what's good or bad about them. But they're like, this does this. If you click this, it'll do this. Uh, and I appreciate that balance. Like, tell me what is available and then let me figure it out. This game is like, we're not even going to tell you what there is to do, how to do it, how to unlock it. Just get in there and figure it out. Uh, which what the children feel about Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> this is how this is, you know, children understand Minecraft naturally and natively now. It's, it's how I feel about Fortnite. Uh, so I think it's probably a good time for us to head to our spoiler break. Um, and after the spoiler break, it's just going to be us briefly talking about our hot strats. Uh, so if you have, uh, if you want to stick around for that, uh, strats, yeah, you can put an echo on that in a, you, when you edit this, can you just put an echo on me when I said strats? strats. So before we go to spoiler break, uh, this is The Short Game. Thank you for listening. You can find the show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form. That's a good way to let us know what you think about the show or suggest games. Or you can find us on Patreon. That's where we'd really love for you to find us. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Short Game where uh, you can, if you support us at even a dollar a month, you get instant access to our Discord. That's where we chat about the games that we're playing. We chat about what we're planning for the show. Uh, it's a great place if you want to uh, suggest a game to us in a longer form way where we can ask you questions about it. That's a great way to get in touch with us there. Um, so join us on patreon.com slash the short game. Uh, thank you very much there. Uh, and of course, you can find our show on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And Laura, where can people find you? On Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And thanks, listeners, for joining us if you're dropping off here. Uh, and if not, uh, join us on the other side of the spoiler break for some hot strats. Strats! Hot strats. What you got? Uh, my first hot strat for you is... Uh, so, and this is like everything in this, I'm going to say something that's good about the game, but I, it's also a veiled complaint. Um, so the, the, the biggest thing that you're doing in the game, the thing that has the most impact on your game is choosing which tiles are in your deck and then placing those tiles, um, which many people have compared this to a deck building game, which I do not really think it qualifies entirely as a deck building game because you're not choosing how many of the cards are going in your deck? And I, I anyway, I, again, I'm, I'm going to try and, but we're talking about strats. <laughs> so uh, when you do pick uh, the number one, most valuable card to have in your deck is called the bookery. Um, in any kind of game where you have a deck of cards that are being dealt out to you randomly, like they are here. Um, a lot of those cards are going to be situational. So like a big example of that in this game is the um is the maybe what what do they call it the 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 wheat field the wheat field can only be placed next to a town so if you get a wheat field but you don't get a town card or you haven't already placed a town it's useless to you 
what happens in this game? Well, you have a hand size of 13 cards. And if you your hand fills up and you have more than 13 cards, uh, then every time you draw a card, you're also discarding a card, which generates a resource that I think is called like lore spooky memory goo or something like that um (laughs) and um yeah so it's just one more of the resource which by the way the resources i never uh really engaged it in the in at the level of like trying to optimize for particular resources i suppose you can anyway uh the bookery the bookery is a it's a tile that when you walk past it uh, it has actually four placements are kind of around the edge of it. It goes next to the road. Um, and so you can, if, if you position it in kind of a corner, you can have it trigger maybe even three times. But the, the bookery takes the last three cards in your hand and discards them and draws new cards. So lots of these cards are going to be things that you want sometimes, but not other times. Like maybe those spider spawners, you want those early in the game. You don't want them later in the game. Maybe... The wheat fields, you have a use for them now. You don't have a use for them later. Um, And in a lot of cases, you want things that affect the board in different ways at different parts of the game. So the bookery will let you cycle through and see more of your deck. Um, So this is really, really valuable. It basically makes every other card in the deck better. So that's my pick for the number one most valuable card. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think as far as like hot strats, I don't know if I have anything that's like quite on the level of like, you know, like do this, but I, I am going to say that once I unlocked the necromancer, um, the game started feeling a lot easier to me. I'm not sure if the necromancer just worked better for me or if the necromancer work is like legitimately easier to play than the other classes, um, but the necromancer has so the way the necromancer class works basically uh you know instead of attacking you summon skeletons um every single time you go into combat you start with a certain amount of magic hp that's sort of like a magical shield or mage armor kind of thing and um so you uh, you have to take a, a sometimes quite significant amount of damage before you start taking actual damage in any given combat and uh, you can start spawning those uh those uh skeletons immediately who do all the damage for you the big strat with the Necromancer, as far as I'm concerned, is to go hard on the plus one skeleton upgrades. Um, they're, yeah. they're pretty rare. Uh, you can usually find a ring that has just plus one skeleton, uh, maximum number of skeletons summoned, um, and no other upgrades. And even that is usually worth taking or replacing even a pretty good ring uh, to with is like plus one to your total number of skeletons is almost always worth it. As long as you're not replacing like your last piece of equipment. Um, and, uh, if you are looking, you know, occasionally you'll get really good items that are like, you know, a level five, uh, tome or whatever that has plus one, uh, extra skeleton and a, a whole set of other more standard upgrades. And that is always the thing to keep. And in many cases it's worth keeping those even if that item is significantly underleveled for you compared to the rest of the run, because that 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 plus one skeleton upgrade never scales. You might have a ring that has plus one skeleton on it. Uh, that's like a level two ring. And then like later into the game, you might get like a plus one skeleton ring. That's like level six. Those two rings are identical. Like that upgrade I've never seen anything that says, well, okay, now you get plus two skeletons from this one piece of yeah. equipment. It's only ever one. 
Um, and so it's it's usually worth keeping those uh, those items, even if they're even if you find something that's significantly over leveled, um, because that upgrade is like so meaningful when you're playing as a necromancer. So Reagan, my favorite class so far is also necromancer. Uh, I think it's just a little bit more interesting than the the other two, uh, and I have had m- my most success with it. So I don't know, maybe it is easier, but uh, I've been really enjoying it. Uh, a couple strategies that I landed on that were pretty effective early on, uh, but they've become less effective as, as the game's gotten more challenging, but I still think it's worth sharing is uh, when you're placing your, uh, you, you're choosing where the combat is. So one thing I like to do is try to prioritize uh, regen per second. So like health regeneration Mm. per second as much as I can and basically create like pockets of combat and spaces in between that will basically allow if you, if you're spawn, if you're getting as much regeneration as possible, you enter into a combat, maybe two, three, four tiles in a row, and then leave a long path for your, hero to go along as unattacked as possible. You can't completely control it because of slimes, but give yourself yourself as much space to regen, maybe let a day click over. So all your meadows click over and then enter into another sort of combat area. And I couple that with a card that I really like, which is called the blood grove, which Mm. uh, you can only place next to a grove and every tile within its range. If you get an enemy below 15%, they automatically die. So especially with these fights where you're fighting two, three, four or five things, being able to slice off 15% of their total HP adds up and adds up quickly. So I'd like to make these little pockets where every enemy or as many as of them as of, of them as I can are all within the grasp of a blood grove. And then everywhere else is either empty or full of villages, which heal you when you go through them. Uh, and then especially for the first boss and to a, to a lesser degree, the second boss, you, you know, you're going to, you're, you're making the decision to fight the boss uh, and you always fight the boss at the campsite. So one thing I'd like to do is put uh, two or three of my villages right up to the campsite. So you are going to enter into the campfire at as close to full health as possible. Yeah. Speaking of that boss, you you trigger the boss specifically by filling up a meter that fills up when you place tiles. So you really do get to choose when you fight the boss. A good yeah. way to rush to the end with the boss is with the treasury because you, you, yeah. you, it, it pays you off with, with tiles for placing tiles. So I like the treasury a lot. Quickly. And, and you can stack treasuries next to each other. Sort of like a chapel in Carcassonne where one tile hits both of the treasuries and it's very satisfying because you just stack resources and cards. We, we talked about the two different kinds of, uh, well, we talked about two of the three different classes. And I, I want to tell you about what, what I think about some of this play style behind those classes. Um, the, the difference between the classes is pretty stark, especially between the warrior and the necromancer. But uh, the warrior is really based around um, just heavy hitting, uh, but also you can build up a stat that says like damage to all. Mm -hmm. So the warrior really rewards you for having maybe a smaller number of fights 
uh, but dealing with a large number of enemies in those fights. So something that's really great for the warrior is to buff your damage to all and then to do the um, uh, kind of, what is it, the vampire town, the ransacked village Mm -hmm. um, where you have like a have five enemies or to do the spiders and to put a chrono crystal on there. So you get lots of spiders. So that's. The, the thing to know about that is you, you, of course, you're getting cards and, and, uh, and gear from these enemies. Um, but let's say you have one really high level enemy and a bunch of really low level enemies, like maybe spiders plus the, um, plus the vampire, all of those enemies are going to drop loot based on the quality of the encounter, not the quality of the individual enemy. So that's actually very beneficial. Uh, I think the best thing I was able to set up was, uh, to routinely have a fight that was one vampire, one chest from the um, battlefield, which plays like it is an enemy, but actually doesn't attack you, uh, except maybe once in a while when it's a mimic, um, and then a bunch of spiders. So that's a very, very high reward encounter uh, without a lot of risk, and I was able to yeah. set up a lot with those. But comparing that to the Necromancer, where the Necromancer you um it's a snowballing based class where what you want to do is have a lot of skeletons hitting um what can really wreck you is a large number of enemies in the encounter so if you were to do the ransacked town i almost never survived the ransacked town with the necromancer i had to be very very careful about when i did that uh because in that if you have five things hitting your skeletons and you're not able to keep skeletons alive you will die Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an interesting back and forth on the play style there. Um, I never really got a, got the hang of the thief, which is more about like critical hits. Uh, so I think that's a much more like equipment based class. They play around a lot more with yeah. the, with you specific, get two weapons. specific stats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The best I could tell with the, with that class is you really want to go on as much as you can on evade, and really just like damage avoidance because they don't have a lot of health. They don't have a lot of stuff to get health back. You're really just trying to kill as quickly and as fast as po- uh, quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a few pretty good runs with it, but ultimately uh, I found myself having the like the least amount of deep runs with that class. And especially for, you know, the show when I'm like trying to, I, you know, it's, really trying to beat the game before we we recorded but uh was not able to i was like i can see the value in this one but this feels really difficult uh whereas necromancer or warrior just felt more manageable uh, i did want to say really quickly too my first two chests i got in this game were both mimics oh. it's like i was like there, this can't be the like these have to be good right these have to be worthwhile there's no reason why you would put this down and then i didn't have a mimic for like 15 chests after that so like crazy yeah. random number generator for my first two to be mimics <laughs> yeah that's, that's funny <laughs> <laughs> that sucks well i don't know do anybody have any last uh, last thoughts in terms of uh of like uh, recommended approaches or early game strats or anything like that just i said it earlier in the show but I think it's okay and worthwhile for you to do runs where you're like, I'm going to go and do five loops Mm. and get out with resources to build up your town because some of the permanent upgrades that you can get from the town, uh, things like 
resurrections, potions, these things that extend your life have, you know, re- repeated lasting benefit. And uh, if you're going in every run, like I'm going to kill the boss, then you're just going to probably end up losing a lot of resources. Uh, so especially when you get through a boss, you're probably not going to be able to kill the next boss without committing to multiple town upgrades. So uh, be okay with making dedicated resource runs. Yeah. And also that you can go back to the previous chapters. So if, you know, running a brand new chapter just to farm for some resources seems daunting and you want some slightly more mindless or faster playing version of that, you can go back, you know, let's say you're on chapter three you can go back to chapter two or even chapter one and just run for resources for a while. And the resources that you're drawing from, as far as I could tell, are the same. I don't think that you're gaining new resources in the later chapters that you won't get if you're playing the the, the previous ones. So I was just generally going back to like chapter, I was mostly, you know, I was on chapter three and I was mostly just going back to chapter through two to kind of grind for some stuff um, and then going in and upgrading my town and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and uh, that was a good way to spend some time. It was pretty chill and not super involved, but that's part of the design of this game. It's got a little bit of that sort of idle game mentality to it. Good podcast material. If you listen to something like the short game while you're putting it. And then you know, when you go into the like, you know, you'll know if you're in a run where like, mm, OK, this is the run. I'm going for the end. I'm I'm going to try to to summon the, the lich or whatever. Um, you know, you'll know. Then you can pause the podcast. Yeah, I, I definitely I started. We didn't even talk about the music. The music's fine. But this is a game that I very quickly started engaging with other things while playing. Mm-hmm. And I and I I thought that was great. Yeah, Which, yeah, it. that's a valuable thing for me sometimes. Like I like to have yeah. a game that I can listen to a podcast or an audiobook and still have yep. something fun to do with my hands and the part of my brain that isn't listening. That's part of why I still play Slay the Spire so much. It's my like idol or it's my like do like three things at the same time game. <laughs> look at the big screen on my TV, look at the small screen on my Switch and peek at the even smaller screen on my phone because mm-hmm. I am a monster and addicted to everything. I think this would be a really good game on iOS by the way. Like I would love to play this more on an iPad. I actually did play this on iPad for a significant amount of the time. I was streaming it from my PC to my iPad and playing <laughs> with a uh with a um nice. uh, the Apple Pencil and like they do like that. That is totally doable. Um, yeah, I did miss having a right click um, because this game really makes use of the right click to or like I was making a lot of use of the right click to switch between the modes and also not mm. really being able to do the mouse overs was a little annoying because there were a lot of times oh, where I needed yeah. to like see mouse over text and I would have to like pick something up and do a quick drag and then let it go in order to get like mouse over text from it. But like they could easily do some little ui refinements and make this work extremely well on ipad and i think this would be a great game for that platform i I think they'd have to do more work in order to make it work well on something like the switch where i think most people are going to be playing with gamepad controls and this game doesn't feel well suited to that at the moment um but uh you know this is a this is a mouse and keyboard game uh, as far as i'm concerned right now definitely um and you know play it that way it's it's a it's a good one to play on your laptop or whatever I uh, have just one more strat mm-hmm. before we uh, before we wrap, um, and that is the Oblivion card and knowing how and when to use it. Mm, okay. um, it. It seems like a super powerful card because it lets you 
you know, blast a tile and remove everything on that tile from the game. Um, and it is, it is pretty powerful for that, but that's a little, once you start placing the tiles very, uh, specifically where you want them, that the, the utility there really starts to fall off. Uh, so like if you're, you know, you really don't want that blood path, you can, you can delete the blood path. Um, or, if you are, we didn't even talk about the, the the mountain, and you can place for every ten rocks you place, it spawns a goblin camp. Uh, and you might have a goblin camp in a spot you don't want one, so the oblivion card is good for that. Um, but it's also, you know, it's it's very good if you think, oh, I just barely need a little bit more. Uh, you know, I'll die if I get another fight, but I can maybe blast one fight uh, and make it back to the make it back to home and and maybe bail. Uh, but the the thing I wound up using the Oblivion card for the most is kind of silly and doesn't feel like maybe the intended use. Um, when you put an, a nine car a nine tile grid of rocks and mountains together, they form a gigantic mountain, um, and you get a big pile of loot out of that. Uh, you get a bunch of resources. You also get a big HP buff. Well, if you then blow up one of those nine tiles, they go back to being nine rocks. And then you can place another rock and get the same bonus over again. So if you just alternate between rock and oblivion, you can really buff yourself and get a ton of resources uh, by just demolishing and rebuilding the mountain. Huh? Yeah, I tried that. I didn't see, feel like I got the HP boost, but you do definitely, the resources is nice. Um, well, you get the HP boost by placing the rocks themselves. Now, the, the mountain gives you... Uh, the mountain is what gives you the resources. The rocks themselves, the individual rocks, are what give you the energy. Uh, yeah, I liked. I, I did that uh, based off of your recommendation from the Discord, and then I use it. I always kept one to blow up goblin camps because goblin camps they spawn a lot of goblins, and the reward they don't drop much in terms of rewards. So it ends up being just a HP drain fight that I try to avoid as much as possible. There also, if, if I could say one more thing about goblins. You can always say one more thing about goblins. Uh, they're really annoying because they synergize with each other. So so the the I mentioned the, the play style for the warrior. So the, the necromancer goblins are really crappy because they appear in large numbers and anything with large numbers is bad for the necromancer. But um, for the warrior... You actually do want large fights, so you'd think you want the goblins. Uh, but what you really want is large fights of enemies that don't synergize or work well together. So that's why, like, the spiders plus the vampire works when, like, maybe vampire plus um, zombies doesn't work that well, isn't isn't quite as, uh, is a little harder. Uh, there are a lot of little synergies between the different kinds of enemies. Goblins have really tight synergies. There's like a goblin boss and a goblin recruit. And when either of them, and like they buff each other, and when they die, they buff each other. So um, goblins in a crowd are specifically really annoying to fight. So mm, yeah. yeah, definitely try and get rid of those goblins or um, have the goblins be dropped into a place where you already have a different enemy type because uh, there's a cap on the number of enemies in a fight um, and so if you have the goblins going into a fight that already has maybe skeletons and spiders in it um, they're not going to be enough to synergize with each other mm, totally well I guess that's it for us for now if you listener have been playing a little bit of Loop Hero and you have 
strategies that you think are worth sharing. We would love to hear them um, because we're all, I think, still working on completing the game. And I'm definitely planning to continue with it. Uh, and we'll be talking about it on our Discord. So uh, join us there, uh, patreon.com slash the short game. We'll get you in. And we would be happy to uh, chat with you about uh, you know your strategies or your takes on the lore or world of the game, uh, whether you think the the writing is good or lame, as Shane seems to. Uh, <laughs> so come join join us and talk about it there. And um, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Short Game, and we'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everyone.